you cat and dog people. This is It's Training Cats and Dogs, the show for people with both cats and dogs who want peace in their home and peace between their animals. I'm Naomi Rotenberg, your source of practical strategies for keeping everyone in your multi-species household safe and sane. And today's episode is a chat with another pet professional about how they've used their expertise to navigate the relationships between their clients' cats and dogs as well as their own pets. Our guest today is Nicole Soul, which I think is great because it rhymes and I love a good rhyme. And I am so excited to have her on the show. She has been training for 10 years and is certified through the Animal Behavior College, or ABC, and is actively working towards her fear-free certification and the CPDTKA. She is currently working for How to Train Your Dream Dog, and they have an online puppy course, which she is the support person for their pro students. And she's mentioned to me that it's a, for her first time working as an online as a dog trainer, which for a lot of us, it's been a bit of a transition. There's a bit of a learning curve, but she's really enjoying the experience. And to learn more about Nicole, I'm going to head straight into our two truths and a lie, because as we know on this show, we like to learn some things about our guests. So hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm going to put you straight on the spot. Thank you so much for having me. And I am here for it. Let's go. Okay. So you're going to tell me two truths and a lie about yourself. And I'm going to make a fool of myself trying to reason through it out loud in a semi-logical way. Ready? <laughs> Go. Okay. Uh, one, I love, love bats. Bats, like the, the animal, the nocturnal animal that uses the echolocation. Okay, great. Cool. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, I was previously, or I started off as a compulsion trainer and then transitioned into more fear-free positive methods. And three, I worked for two, two plus years training service dogs with veterans who had PTSD. Okay. So you all can't see, but her delivery was very deadpan on all of these. So no visual cues whatsoever. I like bats. I should not let that color my feelings here. They're very fuzzy. Most of them. They're very cute. Rabies you know, whatever. We're going to push that to the side. Okay. So if you did cross over from compulsion-based training to more of an R-plus-based method, I would like to hear about it. So I'm not going to say that's the lie. And service dogs for PTSD, also very interesting. Oh, I hope those are true. I hope you don't like bats. Nope. I love Yay! Bats. No, no, I'm sorry. No, actually, I love bats. Oh, shit. <laughs> I did. Okay, so I'm sorry. That was I'm sorry. <laughs> that was <laughs> Oh man. Okay. <laughs> no. Do you want to keep guessing, or do you want me to? Well, I mean, no, because that—that's. I feel silly enough as it is that I pre you know, celebrated a little bit too early. <laughs> no, that was my okay. So you love bats. Great. We have that in common. I think they're awesome. And echolocation is like the coolest thing ever. They're also very, very good pollinators. Yes. Which environmentally is very important because we humans suck everything out of the earth. <laughs> <sighs> it's fine. It's a different podcast. So which of the training history related things is a lie. The lie is that I started off as compulsion. 
So you've so you've always started in, as a cookie pusher. Yes. Absolutely. Love it. I also started out very much like R plus things have evolved, obviously, since we started, but you know, definitely it's been an, an experience to try to learn like the other side to understand kind of what's going on in people's heads. So so tell me about training service dogs. Just a little bit. Yeah, just a kind of a brief. Um, the program I was in, our our main portion of the program was actually most of the veterans were taking in, bringing in their own dogs, mm. which we transitioned and we started kind of pushing out of because, as we all know, not every dog is cut out to be a service dog. Mm-hmm. So while we did have some major successes with that, we also ran into some struggles And that can be stressful for anyone, let alone a veteran working through recovering from PTSD. So, you know, we we did start a puppy program and then I kind of transitioned into a different phase, you know, of my life. And now here I am working for How to Train a Dream Dog. Yes. So, and you're talking about puppies a lot um, in, (laughs) in your current work. So tell me a little bit about... There's a reason you're on this show, which is that you have multiple species in your home. So tell me a little bit about your personal animals and kind of how they came to live together. Yes. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. Good job. (laughs) Talking away over here. So I have Copper. He is an eight-year-old mixed breed. We don't know for sure. I've been toying around with, you know, testing, and I think I might do it just to see because it's fun. He's guest at a German Shepherd, Hound, whatever else mix. (laughs) Really, overall, he's a super mellow guy. He's, you know, he's eight, but he's also just a very kind of relaxed dude. He does have some kind of minor overreactions to certain things that we work through. He's doing beautifully with that. My fiance actually adopted him. He was 10 weeks old uh, and he came from down south. We're up in New York. I have known him his whole life. So my fiance and I have been friends for quite a long time. So I knew Copper right from the start, but it's really only been about two years that he's also been my dog as well. Then I have Vu, my five-year-old domestic short hair black cat. (laughs) He is, he's a, he's a delicate flower of a kitty. (laughs) That's that's a good way to describe him. He needs a lot of help adjusting to change. Minor change, big change. He needs a lot of help getting through that as a lot of cats do, but he's also brilliant and cuddly on his own terms (laughs) and really just a very good boy overall. He came from my aunt's farm. Someone had brought a cat to her who was pregnant, she discovered when she came home. And then she was looking for, you know, homes for the kitties. And I had just moved into a house, one other roommate. And so he came home to me and here we are. (laughs) Is Vu short for voodoo? It is. Yay. I love guessing. (laughs) So Vu lived with you and then you and the fiance moved in together and you had to help your delicate flower cat now live in a new place with a new animal and a new man human. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> so how was the, how did that go? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, 
I had actually, from the time I got him up until this point, we moved like four or five times. Mm. It just was, you know, the the nature of my life, (laughs) where I was and what was happening. And one of those times that we moved, he ended up with a urinary blockage. It got real serious, real quick. And we helped him through that and he recovered and he's doing well with that. But obviously that really kind of flipped a switch for me of like, this is more serious and I need to be preparing and planning even better when big changes are coming to really Mm -hmm. help him through that. So when I moved in with Charlie and Copper, I was pregnant at the time, freshly pregnant. Mm. I had Vu and I actually had my golden retriever, Olive. She was like almost two years old at the time. And then of course, Charlie had Copper. Vu and Olive were buddies. You know, they had really gotten along well with each other. They were, they were good friends. And Vu has been around dogs his whole life, clearly. But there's always that transition for him when a new dog is brought into the picture. Copper, he was, he was curious, obviously, about Vu. And we did some like very distanced introductions before the whole move in. But Copper was also really good at listening to Vu and communicating really well with him. And, and giving him his distance and just really like wasn't pushing the envelope. He's not a puppy. He's not the dog that like needed to be all up in his face. He listened very well. <sighs> Honestly, Vu and Copper, for the most part, had a fairly smooth transition moving in together. It was a lot of management, a lot of separate downtime, which is somewhat difficult. We're in a two-bedroom apartment on the first floor of a house. So we're kind of limited on space and we had to get a little creative uh, with what we were doing. However, the struggle that we had and the the transition for Vu really kind of came down to him and my fiance. Of course, they had met beforehand. For some background with Vu, he (laughs) has always struggled around food. We've made huge strides in the last two years But because we were transitioning so much and we were moving so much, he kind of never got to that like filled emotional cup, right? He he was kind of depleted to begin with. And one of the things that really kind of came out of that was some major struggles around food. So the first week when we had moved in, my fiance, Charlie, he had like set down a steak bone and Vu came over to investigate. And Charlie, it it wasn't anything like dramatic. He didn't come at him. He wasn't being, you know, aggressive towards him. He put his hand out to kind of block the steak bone and Vu bit him. He punctured. He, it was a a pretty decent bite. And so (laughs) from there, obviously Charlie was concerned. A lot of our family members were concerned of like, you have a baby on the way a child that's coming into this is that going to be safe or you know you might have to find a new home for him and of course that was you know on the radar it was in the very very back of my mind but I was determined like (laughs) no that's not the answer I've had him for like four three four years at this point he is my responsibility I need to help him more Mm -hmm. I'm the one that needs to put in the work to help him through the situation and prepare him for what's coming and to be, you know, 
cohesive and, and live in harmony with our family. Charlie and I sat down and really had some very serious conversations. And he got kind of a crash course in uh, operant classical conditioning and going through the whole gambit. Charlie had been raised with a little bit more of an old school mentality and, and methods as far as animals were concerned. Mm-hmm. He had already made a lot of progress on his own and you know, kind of was moving out of that. But I really had to explain to him where Vu was coming from, why this was happening, what we needed to do to help him feel better about the situation and not be so stressed out to the point of biting one of us. Got it. So when you say struggles around food, obviously we're talking like high value stuff like a steak bone. Are we also talking about like his food bowls or like, you know, detritus, like crumbs on the ground? Like, what does that look like? Because I know young children. (laughs) I have two of them myself. Um, They are not clean eaters. And so what, what was the scope of this resource guarding that we were talking about with Vu. He would, like, you couldn't turn your back in the kitchen if you were cooking anything and there was any sort of food on the counters. Everything, still to this day, part of our management plan is we put all of the food is put away into cupboards, you know, actually shut down, locked down, (laughs) or in the fridge and not just left out. He would eat through, like, the plastic bag around bread and just chomp into the bread. He would eat just about anything. I think the only thing that he won't eat is like candy or fruit. <laughs> There's a whole veggies, <laughs> eat just about anything. So that was really kind of, but before I moved in here, I was living with my brother and he had one other roommate, which obviously, you know, I had to kind of explain to them crash course of like how we need to go about things. And I had gotten locks, child locks for the cupboards. And the first ones I got, you know, they're still maybe about an inch, a little bit more that it still opens up. And he would like go Mm -hmm. in and pull out a thing of bread or pull out anything that he could grab onto. (laughs) So Mm. um, yes, we have made some major strides in that area. And I think a lot of it is the stability of where we are now being in one place with everyone on the same page and having some protocols put into place, having management in place on top of his enrichment and the training and, you know, the whole, the whole deal. So in terms of what management you put in place, so cabinet locks, he is, well, you didn't mention whether he's put away during mealtimes. He is not actually. And so again, in our apartment, it's difficult to really keep him out of certain areas. Basically, the only thing we have available to us is our bedroom, mm-hmm. which really stresses him out more and wasn't helping in the long run. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't really quite an option for us either. Mm-hmm. What it came down to during human meal times was me being on the entire time, reinforcing him for where I wanted him to be. And, and where he was going to be out of the way and safe and there wasn't going to be, you know, any sort of altercation or issue. So he has his place that he hangs out on. Copper has his. And that's, you know, it now at this point, two years down the road, it's not 
on the entire time that we're eating, but I'm still reinforcing him throughout those mealtimes. And when we're cooking now at this point, it's not like you have to watch it and you have to be on top of it the entire time. He's phenomenal. He really does a great job. He's had so much reinforcement for staying on the floor instead of jumping on counters, for hanging out Mm -hmm. on his place in the kitchen instead of being on the island. So he knows Mm -hmm. that if he hangs out in those areas, good stuff is coming and it's not worth the energy Mm -hmm. to try and go, you know, snag it from wherever it's sitting. That's great. So, you know, being consistent and heavily reinforcing kind of a small number of options is great because he's like, well, one of these is going to pay out. So I'm, you know, like in this situation, when they're in the kitchen, I'm going to be here. When they're in the dining room or wherever you eat, they're going to, I'm going to be here. That probably helps his overwhelmed feelings too. Like you were saying that he was, you know, has some emotional cup issues. (laughs) Sometimes that helps to have more structure in that way. So, okay. Charlie got bit pretty bad, right? So besides for like you sitting down and being like, okay, here's the, you know, the regime of like how we deal with this cat. How did, how did they come back from their incident? Like, are they friends now? Is Charlie still like wary around him? Yeah. So after we had those conversations, I think that what the biggest thing for Charlie that came out of our multiple conversations was being proactive instead of reactive and making Mm -hmm. associations and bringing down his stress level in order to get where we wanted to go. Right. So I kind of posed the question to him, why would we just wait to see how he handles a baby coming? Why would we put that up to chance, put our daughter, or, or we didn't know at the time, we didn't find out what we were having, <laughs> uh, put our baby in you know, potential harm's way, and also putting Vu in potential harm's way. I couldn't even imagine sending him to a different home who didn't understand him, who didn't have the background where they could help him through, you know, whatever he needed. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that really clicked for Charlie. He's like, okay, yeah. All right. That makes sense. So we actually, we currently have, and you know, the iceberg images where like you see this up top and then all of this underneath. Uh-huh. We have one of those for our students with how to train a dream dog, where the top is behavior, just whatever the behavior that you're seeing up here. And underneath is all of the things that are feeding into that behavior, right? There's environment, Mm -hmm. there's genetics, there's the ability to practice their species typical behaviors and just be a cat Mm -hmm. or a dog and have those outlets. Mm -hmm. And all of those things underneath there, I really kind of had to like explain to Charlie, it's not just the behavior. You can't just stop the behavior. You could but you're suppressing all of these things underneath. And if it's that iceberg Mm -hmm. and you're pushing ice down into water and you let go or one thing slips out, that's coming flying out. And it's not going to be pretty Mm -hmm. when that happens. So for him really kind of understanding that and understanding the fallout of harsh reactions and fear when you're dealing with animals was, was pretty eye-opening for him. We started really with working on some body handling. And when we started on that, it was literally just 
Charlie being in the room, not even anywhere near Vu, and just moving, <laughs> just making movements. Mm-hmm. And I was reinforcing Vu mm-hmm. and, and handing out some tasty treats. And we worked up to him working on Vu's like green zones, I like to call them, where he was okay being touched. And we used the uh, churu tubes of gravy. Mm-hmm. He also, there's this one spot where he likes to hang out right in the threshold between the dining room and the kitchen. And if Charlie walked mm-hmm. through there, he was getting swiped or he was getting kind of, you know, batted at. Um, so every time he walked through there, he had something on him to drop off to Vu. And Vu started realizing and making that association of like, oh, dad comes through here and this is this is good stuff. I think I actually like this. This isn't so stressful and scary. Yeah. <laughs> so we're now at the point where I'm pretty sure Vu loves Charlie more than he loves me. <laughs> They're like best buds. (laughs) They cuddle, snuggle all the time. Charlie helps me with his nail trims, uh, which he's doing phenomenal with. And partly, obviously a major part of that was Charlie's efforts and his contributions to making that relationship work. Um, How important Mm -hmm. it was to me. He knows who I am and I'm just a bleeding heart for animals. So (laughs) he really like Mm -hmm. Vu leaving our home while I knew that it, if it had to happen, then yes, I would do my best to find the best place for him. But it really wasn't an option in my mind. So mm-hmm. Charlie made huge strides and really worked really hard to uh, you know get to that point. Um, and part of it too was the time for Vu to fully relax, get comfortable, transition into the home. Yeah. So you're doing all of this while you're pregnant. <laughs> so you're working on this like food issues and you also have this like impending project of like getting the dog and the cat ready for a baby to come in. So how did you tackle that project? Well, and the the other thing that happened within that period too was Olive, my golden, passed away. Hmm. So she had been born with renal dysplasia. Uh, which is a kidney disease for anybody who doesn't know. She was at like a 75% loss of kidney function when she first came to me at 10 weeks old. Uh So she made it to about two. And, you know, I actually even saw kind of a change in, well, definitely saw a change in both Vu and Copper's behavior after she had passed. Hmm. I saw that they were a little bit more bonded, like Hmm. right afterwards and... Um, I think it was just one less element. Plus, obviously, we were stressed about, you know, her being sick and, and the whole passing. But preparing them for Marion, our daughter, we, one, I would play YouTube videos of babies crying and work on some counter conditioning so that they started getting used to and not only just hearing it, but having a positive association to it. Thought it wasn't just a kind of like, what the heck is this in our house? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why is this loud? What is going on? We pulled out uh, like all of the equipment. So strollers, car seats, bassinet, all of the things that we could. And again, worked on that positive association and introduction for them. We weren't able to bring any sort of like clothing or scent home. Um, it was like in the height of COVID. So we couldn't leave the hospital floor where we were. So we didn't, 
didn't do that, but that was, you know, not a huge deal. Uh, and then when she did actually come home, our main focus was, well, other than, you know, surviving brand new parenthood <laughs> and understanding all of that, it was really about giving them a lot of space, a lot of downtime as best we could, you know, without her being involved. When she was around positive associations, if they were investigating her, it wasn't like, no, don't go near the baby because we're afraid. Mm -hmm. It was, good job. Thank you. And there's treats over here for you. Nice, nice job. (laughs) (laughs) And actually with Vu specifically, even before she came home in the nursery, working on really heavily reinforcing him for staying out of the crib. It was like the one thing that I really didn't want him getting into. Mm-hmm. So even to this day, you know, he goes in there. They both come in with me to, uh, you know, wake her up in the morning and <laughs> say hi. And he is phenomenal about not going in there. So, yeah, I think really when she did come home, they were fairly prepared. I mean, you can only prepare so much for a <laughs> child. <you know? laughs> but really, overall, it, it was a fairly smooth transition she did get here so sounds like they handled things pretty well and so how old is marion now she is just over a year is she walking yet yes yep she I'm, about a month ago she really kind of started it and i looked at charlie the other day and i was like will you look at her she's like practically <laughs> running at this point how did how did this happen <laughs> Yeah, the reason I ask is because a lot of people spend a lot of time prepping for the baby, the homecoming and the like baby phase where, and then they kind of don't prepare for the actual hellishness that is a moving, drunken, screaming, tiny human. That <laughs> So when they start to crawl, when they start to grab things, when they start to walk and they look and they fall on their butts all the time. And then they have a lot of feelings and it's just like, that's much harder often for animals because usually a baby is, a a tiny baby is like, I think of them, they're kind of like raisins, right? Like, (laughs) right? Well, you don't eat them, but they're just like little mumps, right? Like they, you, you move them from one seat or a crib or your arms to another you're not like they're not just accessible to the animals most of the time so that's often a simpler (laughs) time for for the pets the resident pets when there's a baby coming but it they the prep for this age like usually around like 10 months to like 18 months for kids is like there's a lot of development happening. <laughs> and so now that she's walking, um, have you noticed any like changes in their behavior? Have you been working on anything specifically with them to help them through that transition? Yeah. You know, I really haven't seen a whole lot from them with her starting the whole crawling to walking because I had such a like preemptive mindset about it. Mm-hmm. I was prepared for that to happen and I was planning for that to happen the whole time. With Copper, it's really he he just isn't aware of his body most of the time. <laughs> and he's about like 80 pounds, so he's a decent sized guy. So really it's been working on him being aware of her and making sure that he's not trampling over her if he does happen to get up and move. And Vu, it has been a lot of 
reinforcing him in certain locations when we're in a certain room. He doesn't have to stay there the whole time. I don't expect him to, but it gives him a place and something that he knows what's expected. Mm -hmm. So that has helped him a lot. Really the big piece of it has from the start, as soon as Marion started getting mobile, even though she doesn't really fully understand or didn't at the time, teaching her to respect their space and give them space. So she actually has a cue now at this point, give space. And she, it's the cutest thing. She, she hears it. She perks up. She does like a 180 and then toddles away in the opposite direction while she's giggling. (laughs) How did you train that? Yeah. So (laughs) it really was just getting her attention. There was a specific noise that she almost always would like perk up to because she knew it was silly and there was some fun involved. So it really started with that noise and then huge praise and fun and and carrying on when she would turn away. And then we introduced the actual cue. Cue transfer. Yay. (laughs) I I love it. (laughs) Um, One of our students actually had, had brought this up about the concept of being an inviter, not an invader. And it's what they taught their children. Hmm. And it, I I loved it so much. It's just so like, yes, absolutely. So having that whole mentality with her of, you know, allow them to come into your space if they feel like it and you can invite them into your space, but we're not going to go to them. We're not crawling on them. We're not getting up in their face when they're relaxed and and sitting down. That's their space and we're going to, you know, respect that. One thing I think really helped her with Vu specifically, Copper has kind of always gravitated towards her and just he settles near her and and seeks her out quite a lot. Vu is more so about, you know, kind of avoiding. He'd investigate, but really just doing his own thing, keeping space. She, this was probably about four or five months ago, I handed her one of his little teaser wands, one of his little flirt poles, and that was their way of kind of bonding and and really, you know, figuring out each other and having a positive moment together. Mm-hmm. She'd wave it around. And even if he was across the room, but he's watching it going around, she would just giggle and laugh and absolutely love it. So that's their way of connecting and, and being with one another where she's far enough away from him and his, you know, his, his pause. <laughs> and he's having that positive experience with her as well. That's great. I like all of these kind of riffs on some of the basic, you know, tenets of kid pet safety of like, make sure that there's when they are interacting, that there is enough, <laughs> enough space. Um, we're not going to teach them like cuddling type interactions having that wand toy in between i love teaching the the baby a cue i often say i mean it's good because she's still so young that you really can like teach her cues in that way i find that when the kids get older and have opinions about the way things should go in their minds 
that's when parents try to start like teaching their kids to not do the things that they're seeing the kids start to do. And that's a little bit simultaneously too late and too early, right? So the kids don't have enough presence of mind (laughs) and control over their own actions and foresight and all of that stuff to be able to really take those like warnings or like understand that stuff in order to regulate their own behavior. And it's too late because it hasn't been like part of their day-to-day experiences with the animals like from the beginning. So you did, you've done a good job so far of, um, (laughs) of creating that kind of routine and structure around their interactions. It's really good. And is there any resources that you used to kind of like anticipate some of the like developmental changes in Marion that like you could prepare for? Because I know a lot of parents don't really like think about the next phase until they're in it. Me included, it's very overwhelming. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of people don't have as much experience with kids to kind of know what is developmentally appropriate at any given age. Did you, do you have anything that you would recommend people look at or did you just kind of come up with stuff on your own? Uh, I want to say it was kind of a hybrid of those. Really, there's only a couple of like Instagram channels that I follow as far as um, child development goes. Mostly I was doing a lot of research on sleep. (laughs) That a lot. It's it's been a full year of like not not sleeping very well. Um, We finally made some strides there, but that was like my main focus with her development. But what is it? Big Little Feelings Mm -hmm. is one of the Instagram channels that I follow. There's a couple of them that are all about, I mean, it mirrors dog training so much right yeah understanding where the behavior is coming from where that root cause is and how we can really dive into that instead of finding just that short term end it right now right and how are we going to actually help them through this in the long run so i did a kind of a lot of preemptive even farther than where she is right now developmentally i've been practicing things just preparing for that preparing for the big you know toddler meltdowns and the the power struggles Uh being able to offer her choices just like we do with our animals and help her through that situation so yeah yeah this is gonna devolve into parenting discussion so we're gonna move (laughs) i'm just over here sighing because you're mentioning sleep and i have almost six year old and a three and a half year old and i haven't slept in six years (laughs) um so i'm so pleased when i hear other people saying that they figured out sleep because i haven't someone should at me to tell me what the hell i should do with my kids <laughs> what, what is it? Taking Kara babies? Oh yeah, we did was that. The big one. Yeah, we didn't do like the course, but that coupled with I can't remember the author of the book. It was the the No Cry Sleep Solution. So it was kind of a hybrid of things because again, sleep training for me seems so harsh and like yeah, just let them cry it out, and that's not wasn't an option for me. Um, but yes, it's been it's been up and down and. Yeah. A lot of, lot of learning curves. (laughs) Yeah. I think about this a lot actually in like, I aim to be as R plus based 
what if you want to use the word force free whatever labels um in my animal training as possible and i was actually sitting there thinking am i a force free r plus based parent i don't know the answer <laughs> my kids trigger me a lot more than my animals do but there's something really interesting about like is there cognitive dissonance going on is there like some hypocrisy going on if you are not using the same types of methods with the different species in your household, whether it's your uh, furry ones or your human ones. So, you know, this is a discussion about multi-species households, including humans. I find that where things break down is when, because humans are, even the small ones, are pretty verbal. <laughs> and so the number of ways you can approach a situation with a kid is like explodes exponentially when you have the like, I can talk to them and they can understand me option and you can screw it up really, really badly <laughs> um, if you talk to them in the wrong way. So like, I actually find it much easier with the animals. You have, you know, fewer ways to screw it up. <laughs> and you're usually, at least for me, I'm able to like plan ahead more being as proactive because the um, I have much more control over their behavior, their lives, their resources. And that makes some stuff easier, especially when you're going about it from like a force-free-esque, like management is extremely important. We're not, we're not trying to like help them make mistakes and then correct it. So all of that is to say, <laughs> we're going off on a little tangent here and I'm getting a bit philosophical. Can you be a force-free adhering animal trainer and also a less than force-free human parent and still be, and have that be able to be reconciled? And I don't know the answer. That is a very, very good question. And like you, in my parenting moments with my daughter, I have kind of, I've, I've gotten on my own case. of like, what was that? Yeah. You, <laughs> what did, you F that. How did you just Real. respond to that? <laughs> that was not right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and that, I, yeah, that is, I, so my parents watch my daughter while I'm working throughout the day and I have found it more difficult I think, I mean, because family, it's always harder to talk to the people that you actually live with and are in your circle about things than it would be to like students. But I have found it more difficult to explain to them the direction that we're going in and how I would like them to handle certain situations than I do working with our students and teaching them how to interact with their animals. Mm -hmm. And definitely the verbal communication is a big part of that. Though I think a lot of people with their animals verbally communicate too much. They over communicate. Or they think they're communicating, but they're just saying stuff. Yes. <laughs> and that's really, I think, where it comes back to the child as well. You think you're communicating one thing, but they're over here. Or they're reading your face. Or they're looking at your body language. They're not necessarily picking up what you are saying to them. Especially in moments of stress and anxiety. Yes. 
similar to yep. our animals. Yeah. The thing that you just said about like watching yourself parent and being like, that wasn't the right way to go about that situation. You know, a lot of us do that when we're in training sessions with our animals too, right? They're like, well, that rep terrible. I, I screwed that up. And especially if you're like videotaping your training sessions. <laughs> Luckily, I don't have videotapes of myself parenting because I would be... <laughs> Uh, anyway, but yeah, no, the thing about the way we're choosing to train and or parent is that there's a lot more responsibility on the parent to be orchestrating things in a calm slash organized way, not to be permissive, not to be like, but just to just, there's so all of the same stereotypes of like R plus based training, same thing with like whatever you might call it, like gentle parenting or, you know, what what do they call it? Like, um, fo not focused parenting, whatever, something else. There's some other word that I can't in my sleep at mind. Can't remember conscious parenting. There we go. There, you go. there it is. <laughs> There's the word. Yeah. So all of the same stereotypes and like, you know, objections to it are the same thing you hear from people who use more aversives or compulsion-based stuff in their dog training as well. Like, you're just going to let them walk all over you. You can't say no, like all of that. And that's not true. Not at all. Not at all. So. Yeah. Two examples of where my background has helped us through a situation and where Charlie, my fiance, would have just gone the like, like, you know, kind of harsh route. Like, no, stop that right now. One, Marion uh, had discovered as she started moving around that the dog water dish had water in it. <laughs> and, oh my, this is exciting. <laughs> and again, because of our limited space, it was really hard to block her from it without blocking Copper's access to it. So give space, her cue, helped us. And making sure that she regularly had plenty of outlets to play with water was huge in that situation. And Charlie, after a while watching it was like, Oh wow, that, that actually worked. <laughs> yeah. Oh, weird. <laughs> and then two, she is a climber. She likes to climb onto just about anything that she can get onto. So she was in a chair and she was standing up in it. And you know, my fear is you're going to fall out of this and hurt yourself. So I gave her two choices. And again, at the moment, she understands only so much, but I told her, you can put your bottom down or we're going to get out of the chair. And I think the first two times I offered that option to her, I helped her out of the chair and she couldn't make a choice. <laughs> and she, she really didn't have like a major meltdown. It wasn't like a huge negative moment for her. But the third time we tried that out, she looked at me, she paused for a couple of seconds and she put her butt down. And now moving forward, she will either just remain seated or if she does stand up and I ask her, she will either put her butt down or she'll climb herself out of that. And there's no conflict. There's no struggle whatsoever between the two of us. And that just, I, just coming from the background again of, yeah, you can absolutely apply something to just stop that behavior right in its tracks. And of course there are situations where if it's dangerous or like it's you know like ooh we can't let that happen in this moment for safety purposes yeah it might happen it might come out mm -hmm. <laughs> but then you plan ahead thinking okay this happened 
How can we mitigate that in the future? What can we implement into our daily lives that's going to help us through that situation to to not get to that point again? Yeah. And the one thing that I think about a lot is the ability to, when it doesn't go well, not only do you think about, okay, that happened. Let's come up with a plan for the next time it's going to happen because it's going to happen again. Let's come up with a plan and try to, you know, stick to it, but also to then go back and apologize if it's a human (laughs) or making it up to your animal in some way with some kind of bonding experience um, to kind of reset that relationship. That's a huge component of it too. And I think that's the, you know, going back to like having dogs and cats being able to live together. A lot of it is like, if there is a conflict, then us needing to facilitate an extra kind of like positive interaction between them after a cool down period can do a lot to just reset the the relationships rebuild that trust and also just like move move forward um if you just kind of ignore it that can be difficult for a lot of beings whether they are furry or human i will i will end with something that interesting that happened with my kids recently with choices. So I have my three-year-old, he's very three right now. And so choices, the theory is you give two choices, both of which are acceptable to you. And so there's no wrong answer. So he doesn't want to get dressed in the morning. We are late as per usual. (laughs) I say, do you want to get dressed before breakfast or after? And he says, no. <laughs> okay, so we're just going to be free burden it today, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so, you know, you're supposed to take a deep breath and just repeat the question very calmly. This is like, quote unquote, supposed to, like how you're supposed to ask, you know, do the, the parenting thing, but also with your animals, right? You're supposed to kind of like do a reset and then re-cue again, just to check whether they, you know, had a brainwave. I get, I get no again. I said, no is not a choice. So I actually had to remove myself because I was getting angry. And I sat there and I thought about it and I said, okay, well, this is a situation in which something has to happen. No is not an option. I gave the choice. So before I picked up the clothes that I picked him up and I brought him downstairs and I dressed him. So that would be the like compulsion based type thing. I said to him, because I gave you a choice, because you didn't take it, I now have to do this. And I, this happened this morning and I've been thinking about it since then. How would I have done that with a dog? (laughs) Besides for the one thing that I have in like no choice moments, I'll tell my clients, you know, you have to precondition the stuff you're going to do in a no choice moment. Like make sure that they're okay with their harness being grabbed, make sure that they you've conditioned them being restrained, you know, for like vet visits and stuff like that, where it's just like choice is not an option for either, like you said, safety reasons or like something just has to happen. How would you do that with a, where you said, I gave you a choice. I did the thing. (laughs) I did the thing I'm supposed to do. It quote unquote didn't work. I have to move on to this next thing. Yeah. A lot of it for me comes then down to the context of the situation. And again, hopefully you obviously, but hopefully whoever it is 
has been, you know, working towards and working on conditioning towards something that needs to happen. But in the event that there's, there is no option, like this has to go down. It's, it's, there's no choice as best you can changing the context out of your conditioning sessions or out of, you know, what it typically would look like that you've been working towards Mm -hmm. and that specific scenario, I don't know what changing that context would be for you and and, and for your your son. Nudity, Um, not an option. (laughs) You know, typically frowned upon. Yeah. (laughs) But the context of like the thing happening. So one of our students right now, they're working on conditioning the pup to a harness and she had to... Or maybe it was the collar. She had to get it on him, you know, just because like it, it, it had to happen. And the room that she typically trains in or the room that he they've been working on it in, I had her change that. I had her change the clothes that she typically was wearing. She didn't have a treat pouch on, which she normally is. Any of those minor details that she could change, we, we had to switch that up for that moment. And then coming back to it and trying to recoup, take those conditioning sessions down a little bit and then help him transition back in and go back to that different context so that ideally in their head, they're kind of two separate things and or at least we have a somewhat easier time helping kind of move forward on that super quick my speaking of context last week over at my parents house my daughter fell off of a little push bike and split open her chin we had to go to the hospital she had to get stitches i had to hold her down for those stitches to be put in and it was one of the most horrendous moments of my life but it had to happen she had to have them in i noticed in the following days that me coming towards her while she was on her back or diaper changes terrified her mm-hmm. because she had that then memory and association. I'm sure, that made you feel excellent. Oh yeah, absolutely. That yep, felt felt great. <laughs> <laughs> but we have since last week entirely changed the context of her diaper changes. If it's pee, she's standing up, and I've had a huge learning moment of how to change a moving one-year-old while she's standing. <laughs> Um, and if it's not, and she needs to lay down, she is now on the floor on a different mat in a totally different context. We've just been recovering from that moment. These are the things that like Nicole and I are literally, we think about this all the time, right? Like as behavior professionals, we, you know, hold ourselves to a higher standard and, you know, we, we can see when we're doing things, not the way that we would like to ideally. So kind of coming to terms with plans and how to recuperate from things that don't go as well is something I think about on the daily. Thank you for walking me through. This went into a very different direction than I thought it would, but it's very interesting. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for going off on a tangent with me. And (laughs) thank you for taking me there. (laughs) I hope that Anyone who is listening who has not only the cat-dog multi-species issue, but also has the human-child aspect going on as well, got a lot out of this discussion. I know I did. (laughs) 
If this episode has helped you feel less alone in your struggles with your cats and dogs and human children, please subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes. And I would be so appreciative if you would take a few minutes to review podcast because your support helps other people find this show and other people finding the show makes other people find the show. And that is great for me and for everyone who gets something out of it. I would love if you would follow me on Instagram at praiseworthypets and send me a direct message because I want to know which trainers you might want to hear from next. That is all for this episode, you wonderful cat and dog people. I will see you next week for more It's Training Cats and Dogs. Thank you.